In Nehemiah chapter two, let's look at verses one through eight. It says this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Okay, so, so he, he tells us what time it is. He, he, he says it's, it's the month of Nisan, uh, which it, by our calendar standards would be mid-March to mid-April. And so what does that tell us from looking at chapter one? That tells us that from the moment that Nehemiah has heard about the conditions of his homeland and, and, and as he's wept and he's, as he's been deeply burdened about that, it's been four months since then. Okay, so four months. Remember, he immediately went into this time of fasting and praying and just weeping before the Lord. But now it's been four months. And, and I just want you uh, to think about that for a second because I think for many of us, there's been a cause, a burden, or maybe a vision uh, that God has placed on our hearts, just something that's gripped our hearts. And, and maybe our immediate response was similar to Nehemiah's. We, we were just distraught. We, we, we had this huge emotional pull right, uh, for this cause. But what, what happens then as time goes by? Usually what happens is that it's not like that cause isn't important or that calling's not important anymore. It's just time has a way of, 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 of uh, the farther and the longer it goes, it, it takes that thing that was so important, that was such a priority, that I was so passionate about, and now it's like, oh, that was kind of a thing. And that's still important, it's just not what it was. And, and for some of us, you're like that after a week. <laughs> this is four months. And so I just want to sit in this for a moment and just acknowledge what happens during this time period in our lives and what he must have gone through. Because when you think about four months between this, this um, passion, this calling being birthed to actually something happening, that is a lot of time for doubt to creep in, isn't it? And, and I want you to just uh, think about some of the doubts he must have had, right? I mean, essentially, he's a slave, okay? I mean, uh, the, he, he can't walk into the king's office and go, hey, I quit. I got a better offer. 
I, I got a job, I, I got to do this, so thank you. Like, he, no, you, the king owns you, and, and, and that's the situation. And then, and then when he looks at what this burden, this calling is to go and, and rebuild the, these walls, I want you to just imagine some of the doubts associated with that. There's a reason the walls were tore down in the first place, right? There's a reason. And, and in fact, the current king, uh, when they started to rebuild, he put a stop to it. Why? Because a defenseless city posed no threat. So why in the world would the Persians allow somebody to go and reestablish Israel as a military presence in that region? I mean, Nehemiah is crazy to even consider such a thing, right? And, and, And then to make matters worse, as he's processing over four months, what makes Nehemiah think that he can just show up And all of a sudden, everybody's just going to rally around him, right? That he's going to just show up, have this vision, and everyone's going to go, oh, yeah, we want to follow you, right? Like, like, like he's, he's being reminded, like, I I don't have authority. I'm I'm the cupbearer to, to the king. And, and when you look at this on paper, you go, it's just probably not going to work out. He's just probably not going to be able to pull this off. And you guys, what we see here is something that is true. That's always the case when God puts something on our hearts for us to do. That's always the case. God-ordained visions are always too big for us. And, and, and that shouldn't surprise us, right? I mean, consider the source, Right? There, there are always more questions than answers when God births a vision on your heart. There's always obstacles. There's always a lack of resources. You'll usually feel alone. And often, and this is what's really difficult, often your present circumstances will seem to contradict your calling or the vision that you believe God has for you. You ever felt that way? God, why am I stuck here? Why am I stuck in this? God, God, why am I still doing this? God, why do I live here? Like, why? I mean, this place, this occupation, uh, this job, this isn't even remotely close to what you've put on my heart to do. So God, what is going on? What am I doing? And, and you, you got to believe Nehemiah is asking God during these four months at some point, God, what am I doing in Persia? Like, what am I doing here? But what we see is that God knew exactly what he was doing. He had Nehemiah in the right place doing the right thing at the right time. It's no accident that you are where you are even if it's not where you assume you ought to be. God is in complete control. We see that all throughout scripture. In in, in Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, it says, work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So, So God's using your circumstances to prepare you to accomplish the vision he has for your life. And so here's what I want to encourage you with. You're not wasting your time. If, it's a big if, right? You're not wasting your time if you're first 
seeking his kingdom where you are. If you're seeking first his kingdom where you are, then where you are is exactly where you're supposed to be. It's exactly where he's positioned you. Now, here's what makes this so difficult for us. And, and I would even say, when I say us, let's just, let's just use our culture, uh, the United States as a whole, okay? This is, this is what makes this season, this time, this four months uh, for, for us so difficult to walk through in this season of waiting. What makes it so difficult is our confusion regarding success. Okay, I, I was reading this book on, on this and I was just blown away by, 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 by what it was talking about. And you guys, there's a tendency, tendency in all of us, to confuse success with the rewards of success. Okay? And if, if you are where God wants you and you're fulfilling the responsibilities he's given you to fulfill, guess what? You are successful. Wow, nobody's successful in this room. <laughs> Let me say that again. If you are where God wants you, fulfilling the responsibilities he's given you, you are successful. And let me throw something on top of that. You are as successful as you will ever be. Yeah. You're like, new church time, honey. New church. I don't feel successful. See, you may not right now be seeing the rewards of your success, but you are successful if you're doing that. You guys, success is remaining faithful to the process that God has laid out for you. Now, there are significant and enjoyable rewards along the way, right? There's some incredible moments, but success isn't the reward. And that's so important for us. Success is not the raise. Success is not the promotion. Success is not the recognition. Uh, success is not, oh, this, this picture-perfect Christian home. Success is not, oh my goodness, my children are awesome. They seem to still like me. This is great, right? That's not success. The, those are just simply enjoyable rewards along the way. Success is staying faithful to the process that contributed to those things becoming a reality. Unfortunately, when I connect with people, we often, I find that we often don't consider ourselves successful until we experience the rewards. And, and when you look at the story, you guys, Nehemiah was successful long before the last brick was laid on this wall. And if you're a parent here in this room or watching online, when are you successful? right? When are you successful? That's a tough one, isn't it? Because we're so outcome-driven, aren't we? We're like, we're, we want to judge at the end, right? And so for many of us, we're so caught up at, in the end. And, and I'll tell you what, if you're so caught up on the end on the reward, you're going to miss the whole thing. Because I'll tell you what, talk to anybody in here whose kids are, are, are grown up. Don't talk to me because I'm a mess, okay? My kids are young, uh, I got all kinds of issues, all right? But talk to somebody who's raised their kids and their kids are grown up. And, 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 and you can raise your kids the same way and have different outcomes, amen? I mean, like you can't. And, 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 and so if you measure success by whether or not your vision has materialized, you are going to be discouraged because there are days when, guess what? It seems like we're moving in the wrong direction, Right? 
There's weeks that go by sometimes. There's months that go by. There's even years that go by where to you and I, there are no signs of progress. In fact, it seems like things are going in the opposite direction. But you guys, confusing success with the rewards of success is one of the primary reasons that people abandon their hopes, their dreams, and the things that God has called them to do. And if I don't consider myself successful until I see something happen, you know what I'm saying as well there? I'm saying then I'm only one wrong outcome away from considering myself a failure. And that's where so many of us live right now. God has you where he wants you. He's in control. Our job is to surrender to that control. Well, I just... Maybe, you know, you say, well, my condition's different, Steve. You don't know me. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how long I've been waiting. I just don't see how he could do it. You guys, that how question has never been a problem for God. It's never been a problem. That how question is a you and a me problem. That's not a God problem. Okay, like, like when, if the Bible <laughs> teaches us anything, it's that nothing is too difficult for God. Okay, and, and, and I mean, we can, we can go through story after story. And uh, when you think of just like the New Testament and the start of the New Testament, we have this young girl who an angel appears and tells this young girl, Mary, this incredible vision and purpose for her life. And she responds how all of us would have responded, right? In, in Luke 1, 34, and, and Mary said to the angel, how? how will this be? Since I am a virgin, how? And remember the angel's answer in verse 37 there? For nothing will be impossible with God. How has never been a problem with God. And when he puts something on your heart to do, he goes to work behind the scenes to ensure that it happens. And in the meantime, we are to remain faithful to him and focused on that vision, on that calling. You are not responsible for figuring out how to pull off God's vision for your life. Okay, that's not weight that, that you can bear. You are responsible to do what you know to do and then wait but we wait with purpose, right? We wait just how we see Nehemiah uh, waited. And, and I want you to just think about this for a minute. Can you think of one Bible story where the responsibility of figuring out how a divine vision would be fulfilled fell on the person who God gave the vision to? Can you think of one situation? I mean, uh, like, like, like Moses, did Moses come up with the way to get the Israelites out of Egypt? No, no. Right? And just continue on. When they're confronted with the Red Sea, did Moses figure out how they're going to get around the Red Sea? No. Wandering through the desert, was Moses like, hey, follow me? No. There's literally a pillar of fire leading them. It was like GPS like that you don't even know about. Okay? And, 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 and so God's like, Moses, do this. And, 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 and if Moses is hung up on the how, nothing happens, right? Nothing happens. Uh, when you think of, you know, Jesus is with his disciples. He's like, hey, there's 5,000 people here. Uh, you're going to feed them. Was it their responsibility to figure out how to multiply the five loaves and the two fish? 
You're like, yeah. No, man, God had to do that, right? Like, like he's like, you be faithful. This is, the, this is what's gonna happen, right? Uh, when he said, you're gonna be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth, is it on them to figure out how that can happen? No, God's gonna make it happen. And so a vision that comes from God Just that it's from God means that it's possible. And we must focus right now on what he's called us to do, not on how he's going to pull it off. Right? Your responsibility, and I love John 15, 5. It's so clear. Jesus stating, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, all right? So, so what, what's my purpose? What, what should I be doing uh, on a daily level when I'm in this season, whether it's months, whether it's years, and, and I'm there, and I, and I believe he's birthed this passion, this calling, this desire, and it's not happening. I feel like I'm just spinning in the mud. I feel like what I'm doing doesn't connect to it and all of that. My job is to abide. It's to abide in Christ, It's to daily make that choice that I'm gonna abide in Christ. And the how, I don't know how he's gonna do it. I don't, but I can trust and I can do what I know I'm called to do right now. You guys, that's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah continued to do what he knew he could do. And so what did he do? He prayed, he fasted, and he planned, he prepared for the answer that God was going to give. And guess what? Something unexpected happens, huh? Nehemiah is, is serving the king. And, and as he's serving uh, the king, you know, I mean, his heart's broken. Yeah, it's been four months, but it's very real still. It, it, it's still daily. It's the thing that, that wakes him up. It drives him. And so there he is before the king. And this day's a little different. We don't know why, but on this day, he couldn't control his expressions. He couldn't control the pain in his eyes, the hurt in his heart. And so there he is before the king. And, 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 and as he's serving uh, the, the king, and he's trying to put on a front, but guess what? Not this time. The king notices. The king notices. And the king stops, and he goes, hey, what, what in the world is going on with you? You're not sick. You better not be sick, because I'm going to die. Man. Like, you're my cupbearer, right? <laughs> and the king knew him. Right? I mean, I mean, you, once again, the, the cupbearer, that's the person, anytime the king's gonna eat, the cupbearer is there, right? And if the king eats anything like I do, that cupbearer was there all the time, right? Because it's not just breakfast, lunch, and dinner, it's all the in-betweens. And so that cupbearer is there. Uh, the king, he knows Nehemiah so well, and he goes, there's something wrong. There's something off about you. You're in pain today. What is going on? On. And, and we see Nehemiah is absolutely terrified out of his mind because you are, are, are supposed to put on one front and it is a happy front when you're with the king. And there's story after story of the king's just having people executed, having them thrown out as a result of just their demeanor. And so Nehemiah is terrified. And what does he do very first and foremost? He's just like, king, you're amazing. Long live the king. You're good, king. And then he does what? He explains to the king the reason for his sadness. And he walks through that with the king. And then we see the king's response. And it's the response that Nehemiah for four months 
has been praying for and just waiting for. And all of a sudden the king just says, Nehemiah, what would you like? What would you like to happen? What would you have me do? And, and, and do, you, do, you, do you see the response there? What, what's Nehemiah's response? Is it, no, he's been praying, he's been preparing, he's been planning. And immediately in that moment, he, he has, through four months, been dependent on God. Every day, every moment, he's dependent on God. And now he's fi- it's finally here. The question that he's been waiting, that he's been hoping, that he's been praying for. He gets asked that question. The question that you and I, in some of our areas, in some of our lives, we're, we're waiting for a question like this. And it finally happens. And what does he do? First and foremost, he goes to God. Do you catch that? He goes right to God with it. Now, he didn't say, hey, king, time out. Just hold still, God. Like, no, <laughs> right? I mean, it's there. It's game time. And, and, and before he says anything, he acknowledges his dependence on God. He goes right to God. He goes, God, I'm about to talk. God, I, I, need, I need your wisdom. I need your words. God, I need the Holy Spirit to move and to work. As if I'm about to share this. God, I believe it's you. I believe you've placed this passion, this burden on my heart. And, I, and I've gone through all these steps with you. And, and what I love about this moment is it reveals that Nehemiah was never depending on the king in the first place, was he? He was always depending on God. And so God's the first person he goes to. And then after he goes to God, Nehemiah courageously asks the king for stuff that you and I just go, oh no, don't ask for that. And he just keeps going, right? He asked the king to, to let him go back, right? To let him go back, to rebuild these walls. He asked the king to, to, to appoint him as governor of Judah, to give him the authority he needs to rebuild these city walls. He, he, he told the king, listen, this is when I, I anticipate coming back, right? Because he's planned. He was diligent during this season of waiting. And then he says, uh, I need letters uh, from you signed that will guarantee safe travel for me. He, he asks for letters that would provide the materials needed for the construction of building uh, the buildings and the walls, including his own house. Hey, King, I want to do this. I want to do this. Yeah, you shut this down years back, but hey. And he just keeps going, right? And, and, and then it's like, and, and, and also construction for my own house. Why stop, right, with the walls? Let's just keep going. And what happens? The king gave him all that he asked. The king gave him all that he asked. Now, guys, what what you see right here is something you guys need to pay attention to and listen to. God is sovereign over any ruler or authority. And, you know, often we go, well, God can only work for people who want to honor him, believe in him, and all that. You guys, God can work through absolutely anybody. And when it comes to rulers, uh, I love Proverbs 21.1. It says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. 
And this is why you should be praying for leaders. This is why you should be praying for local leaders, world leaders, uh, because God can use absolutely anybody to accomplish his will. And he takes this king who, who didn't worship him, uh, this king disconnected uh, from uh, a relationship with God or even a desire for, for the, the one and true God in his own life. And yet God uses him, softens his heart to literally enable this incredible God-sized vision to happen. And the king funds it right? The king writes the check and says, hey, I'm going to throw some military aid there too, just so you're safe. And then lastly, what does he do once again? He gives God the credit. Only God could have accomplished this. So Nehemiah just says, God, you're amazing. God, only you could have done this. And then we continue on. In verse nine, it says this. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly, uh, displeased them greatly and that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the, to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I expected the walls of Jerusalem, inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Okay, so, so he gets all of, of this, this crew together and then they travel to Jerusalem. It's, it's uh, about a thousand miles. And along this journey, they have letters of authority. They have letters granting safe passage. This is this huge caravan. There's soldiers uh, with uh, him. He's got this military escort. And so word is just getting out as they make their way to Jerusalem. And, 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 and so, uh, and as we see, there's certain individuals and, and, and these individuals named um, are ones that are governors and leaders in the areas surrounding Jerusalem. They're not happy, right? They're, they don't want God's people blessed. They don't want to see God's people restored. And, and so they are in opposition to what God's doing. But then we see this emotional moment for Nehemiah. I mean, just imagine as he's pulling into the city there. He's only imagined 
Most likely he's never been. This is the first time his feet have like set, set foot on his native soil. And there he is. And, and, and as they arrive in Jerusalem, you guys, it wasn't like they were unnoticed or under the radar, right? I mean, we, we literally have um, a Persian official riding into town with uh, an armed escort. And, and then on top of it, what in the world is with all the lumber, right? I mean, here they come. And then I, I don't know what the materials must have looked like for this project, but there's a lot and it's all coming in. And, and so word is all over town. Who are they? Uh, why, why are they here? Who's in charge? Nobody knew. Nobody knew. And Nehemiah doesn't announce, like he doesn't come in. I am your savior. I'm here for such a time as this, right? Like he doesn't come in to the applause. He doesn't tell anybody his intentions for at least three days. So they ride in, nobody knows what's going on other than everybody's talking about it. And then we see Nehemiah do what he has already done. And we see, and we see this consistency in him where he prepares himself for what God's called him to do. He plans for it. How does he do that? He, he sneaks out, goes out by night on this ride to investigate the ruins. And, and what we see once again, and I mentioned this last week, but I think it's important is it's neither heroic nor smart to take a bold, uninformed action. And it's not a lack of faith to ask the hard questions that wisdom demands. It's wise to know what you're up against. In fact, Jesus alluded to this in, in Luke chapter 14, 28. He said, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. And, and, and so what we need to see and know here is that Nehemiah's midnight ride, this wasn't fueled by his lack of faith. Like he wasn't having second thoughts. And so, oh, I better ride around and just see. I don't know if I can do this. No, he, he didn't investigate the walls to make up his mind about, uh, about doing it. He didn't walk into Jerusalem and go, oh, this wasn't what I pictured. Oh my goodness, no, this isn't gonna work out. No, he, he investigated because he was committed to the project. And so when he cast that vision, he knew exactly what he was talking about. He knew the scope of the work. He knew what needed to be done. He wasn't just up there saying, this has to get done. You know, I don't know how it's gonna get done, but you need to do it, right? He knew what he was going up against. Guys, when you see um, throughout the Old Testament and you see uh, the nation of Israel in particular taking ground or, or steps of faith, uh, you know, when, when Moses uh, sent these spies to go into the promised land, the promised land, the land promised to them, and they cross that Jordan and they go investigate the land, the purpose of that was for them to never come back and go, uh, and, and to debate whether they could do it, right? Th that was already promised. God had already said, that's yours. Like he sent them in so that they would relay, hey, the specifics, right? What we're, uh, what we're up against, the things that we need to be aware of. It was never to debate on whether we should do this or not. And so, and so when it became that, and when ultimately only two said they could do it, God's like, okay, you wanna play that way? I'm just gonna wait till all of you die off. And that's what happened. That whole generation just died off. And then we see in Joshua, God going, okay, let's try this again. And then in Joshua chapter two, verse 24, Joshua sends spies into the land. And this is what they said in response when they came back. 
says, and they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Change of tune, right? And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. And so it's just a posture, you guys, that we should have. There's a planning process. There's a thought. There's, there's a development of that thought. There's a development of the vision that God wants to do as we continue to process with him and work through it. And so once Nehemiah has dialed in the scope of the work, he gathers the people together and then he casts this incredible vision. And how does he cast that vision? Well, he starts with the obvious, right? What does he say? Hey, the walls are broken. You're like, that's the powerful speech right? And, and, and they're sitting there, they're listening to this, and, and he points out what, what the obvious, and, and if you're there, and, you're, and you've lived in Jerusalem your whole life, and you go, wow, thanks. Thanks for pointing out the obvious. Yes, the walls, the gates, they're a mess, they're tore down. We know the condition of the walls. You know, some of these people have lived in Jerusalem their whole lives. Uh, some of these people daily go between, pass in and out of the city. They go by these burned gates every day. Why in the world did they need him to begin this little incredible speech uh, with pointing out that the gates are burned? Have you ever had somebody, and it's probably gonna be a family member, have you ever had someone come over to your house and they come into your house and, and, and they, they go to your house and they start pointing out all the things that are wrong or unfinished or broken? And, and hey, that's awesome. Hey, when are you gonna finish painting that? I don't know. Hey, that door, oh my goodness, yeah, it's broken. When are you gonna fix the door? I'm not sure. Thanks for showing us that again. Right? Oh, I would sit there, but man, it looks like that chair is busted a little bit, you know? And, and, and they just walk through your house and they, and they uh, you know, God bless them. They just feel led to expose every issue with your house, right? And, and, and so you're there and how many of you enjoy that? Yeah, none of you. Like, I love it when people walk through and criticize my house. And so, but what happens when those people leave? You have a conversation, right? As soon as they leave, honey, we got to fix that. What are we doing? We got to fix, oh man, honey, I can't, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, they saw that. Yeah, I know. We got to do something about that, right? What happened, right? What happened there? Well, some fresh set of eyes came in and revealed what was there that had become normal for us right? Like we were used to the door that didn't work. We were used to that section of paint that just didn't make sense or wasn't finished, right? That had just become a normal part of our life rhythm, right? But then all of a sudden, a fresh set of eyes comes in and, and shows us, you know, what's there, what's wrong. And we go, ah, we got to do something about that. You guys, Nehemiah comes in and he, and he goes, listen, this is what's wrong. Like, this is what's wrong. You guys, I've eye contact, like right now, you see the walls, like, no, 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 I know that you're here. I know that you know that's the case. And I know that you, you're aware that these are burned down, but, but do you really see it? Do you really see uh, how, how, how this ultimately isn't even about your and my security? This is where it gets really, really important, you guys. Nehemiah is pointing to the walls, not because the mission is about the walls. The mission of the walls is about the glory of God. 
And so you got to remember the purpose of the walls is the glory and the image of God. And so Nehemiah is telling them, listen, we, and I love how he uses we, he had every right to come in and go, you, right? Your problem, you did this, you haven't finished it. But he says, we, we haven't done this. We are a laughingstock. We are a, a reproach to these other nations. And ultimately it's not us that's being a, a reproach. It's not us that's being made fun of and criticized. This is the very glory and the image of God. We are his nation set aside to be a light, to be a demonstration of his power, his might, his grace and authority. And here we are, this is our state. This is our condition. And so he's like, we got to fix this. And then I love what's next because it's like, man, that's a, that's a compelling vision. That's awesome. But why right now? Why right now? And then Nehemiah goes into what? His story. The power of his story. The power of your story, you guys. Never belittle the power of your story. Nehemiah shares with them what God has just done in his life to reiterate that God is at work right now now on your behalf. He says, listen to my story. You guys won't believe this. Like, yeah, I know this is pretty impressive how I rolled up, but I'm a cupbearer. And, 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 and God just did this and this and this, and it was four months and I'm waiting, I'm praying, I'm fasting, and then the king and this and that moment, and then, yeah, and here I am. And, and guys, God's, God's moving. He's at work right now. This is the time for us. And they're excited and they're ready and they say, let's, do it. Let's do it. God had prepared a way. The timing was perfect. And then we finish with verses 19 and 20, and it says, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Boom. There's certain times I, I look at that and I go, man, that is a response. That's a response. But what we see, you guys, is this. If you're gonna step out by faith, if you are gonna pursue this vision that God has given you, this cause, you need to know that it's not a matter of, of if, it's when that the enemy is gonna show up, the enemy is gonna push against that, and the enemy is gonna do everything he can to discourage you. And, and, and you look at these, these guys and, and, and you see how they're mocking the people here. They're mocking uh, these Jews. And, 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 and they even go as far as to say, hey, you guys are rebelling against the king and to, to you know, literally provoke fear in them. And so we see as, as, as the, the people of God are literally being mocked, made fun of by, by their motives, by, by, by their plan and all of that. And, and, I, and I love how Nehemiah res, responds in such a clear way. And he tells them, listen, rebuilding the wall is God's work. The Jews are God's servants and you have no part in this matter. And, and, and so what does that mean for you and, and, and me? I tell you what, guys, if, if, if we're going to step out in faith, if we're going to be obedient, if we're going to pursue a vision, a calling that he has for us, guess what? You, you're going to be mocked. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be talked about. I'll take it a step further. Some of you are being talked about right now. 
you're going to be laughed at. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to have this incredible calling. It's going to break your heart because you're going to have people accuse you of having these different motives and it's going to hurt really bad. And let me tell you why this is so important and why uh, so many people have, have quit or said, I can't do this vi vision anymore. I can't pursue this calling. It's because they're prepared for the, for the opposition from the outside. What really hurts is when it's from within. It really hurts, doesn't it, when it's, Someone else that says, I love God too. I'm a Jesus follower and you know they're just ripping you to shreds. That hurts. But it's gonna happen, you guys. It's gonna happen. If it's God's vision, it's gonna happen. And so I wanna close with these thoughts here. Today, God's name is no longer at stake in a city with walls and gates, is it? God's name is now at stake in the lives of his people. The lives of his people who are what? What do we read in the Bible? We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when you think about the walls that you have in your life, in your heart, what walls and gates do you need to inspect? What needs work in your life? What, what is broken? What is, bro what is broken down in your life that God needs to repair, that God needs to restore? Is it your marriage? Is it your relationship with your kids, uh, your, your grandkids? Is it, is it your influence? Is it your reputation? Uh, what is it that, that, you, that you look at and you go, man, like, like I'm, I'm to be a display of the glory of God in my life. I'm now that, that, I'm, that I'm the wall here uh, that, that, that we're reading about. And, and are there areas in my life that are just broken down, that are a mess? And and, and, you know, some of you, you're literally, you associate with the fact that the whole Jerusalem, it, it, it was in complete ruin. And you go, my life right now looks like that. It is just in a state of complete ruin. And the message you need to hear is that there is a greater leader than Nehemiah who can deliver you from whatever you're facing. Salvation comes to you through Jesus, which is, which is the ultimate hope. It's the ultimate guarantee, but it's the only way. And some of you maybe need to just right now receive him as your Lord and Savior. And then I want to ask some of you, what defines success for you? What really defines success for you? And then what are you doing right now if you're waiting? What are you doing right now? Because I'll tell you what, if God's moving and working right now, it means he wants to deal with this right now. 